a society which in 1964 has more subtle, deceptive, deceitful methods to make the rest of the world think that it's cleaning up its house, while at the same time the same things are happening to us in 1964 that happened in 1954, 1924, and in 1984. Hello, welcome. I'm Ben Boyce. This is the Dr. Junkie Show. That was Malcolm X at Oxford University in 1964. And today I want to talk about a phrase that I use all the time, both on this podcast and in my teaching. Systems, not people. This concept often strikes listeners as confusing, especially when I use it to describe high-profile cases like the Derek Chauvin trial or Breonna Taylor's case. When I say systems, not people, I'm not letting anyone off the hook for bad behavior. That's not the point at all. What I mean is that looking at the larger system always provides a better understanding of what's going on. It always gives one a better way to avoid problems that might otherwise arise unexpectedly in the future. To grab just one example, consider thread, the stuff you mend your torn pants with. Let's say you have a bunch of thread making machines inside a thread making factory and that you're watching the production process whereby raw materials are turned into consumer goods, in this case, sewing thread. You can imagine the value of a quality control system whereby each bin full of thread might be checked before it's sent out, since this particular factory is so large and fast that a lot can go wrong very quickly, sometimes without anybody noticing. So you check each batch before you mail it out to customers because the system is built in such a way that you would be foolish not to do so. It's deliberately designed to move so fast that in just a few minutes, entire boxes of bad product might otherwise be shipped out to consumers. Things work great until one day, uh uh-oh, you spot a bad box in an outgoing shipment, just in time to avoid sending it to a customer. No worries, a machine this large is sure to make a mistake every so often. That's why quality control measures exist. So far, so good. But now imagine a few minutes go by and you notice another bad box, and then another. It's great luck that you were observant enough to swap those out too, but then another pops up, and another. You have a choice, and it should be pretty obvious already. You can keep throwing out loads of defective final products and ignoring the real issue, or you can shut down the system and go figure out what the heck is going on. It might be that something is sitting near the assembly line, smushing a passing box every so often. Or maybe the cardboard shipment you got last week was no good, but it got loaded into the machine anyway. Or perhaps an engineer designed the system in such a way that some of the boxes are getting smushed as they pass underneath another component. Any number of things might be going on and causing the issue, both inside your factory and at other factories, which produce the raw materials you use to make your final product. The obvious way to fix the issue is to take a system's perspective and try to stop it from happening in the future. Or you can just keep throwing out perfectly good product, waiting for the next predictable bad apple to pop out. And if you really want to keep things interesting, you can feign surprise every time a new defective product shows up. That's what we tend to do in the United States. We act surprised every time the system turns out a bad situation or a bad cop. And we get to work weeding out those individual bad apples, seldom looking to the system in charge of producing social order. All systems have three basic components, input, output, and waste. The input is the raw material required to produce whatever it is that we want to produce. If it's thread, we need things like cotton, silk, nylon, packaging, laborers, machinery, electricity, and lots of time for the production process to play out. 
If our system is a car, we need air, gasoline, oil, transmission fluid, maintenance, antifreeze, things like that. Anything that a system requires to work properly is in this category of input. The output is what we get. It's the whole reason the system exists in the first place. In a car, the output is torque delivered via the tires to the ground. It's the ability to travel. In our thread factory, the output is the boxed up, ready to ship, quality checked box of thread, which will sell to make money, our real ultimate goal. And waste is whatever else is bound to come out of the system, based on its deliberate design. A car expels CO2 and other toxic chemicals through a designed exhaust system. It produces dirty oil and other fluids, used up tires and worn out brake pads, all the things that are thrown away when everything is running smoothly. We don't need to redesign the car just because the brakes wear out. And anyone who said the system was broken would simply be guilty of not understanding the way that the system really works. In our factory, imagine the machines cut each spool of thread to 50 feet long, but the raw material produces single strands that are slightly longer than 50 feet. We would wind up throwing away a small length of string each time we trimmed our spools for packaging, but that wouldn't be a sign that the system was broken down. It was designed that way. So all systems have input, output, and waste. And none of those things is a sign that the system is broken. I want to add one more level of metaphor to this theory, because social systems are what I'm really talking about. The basic tenets of systems theory apply to all sorts of systems, not just mechanical systems. Churches need input, parishioners, deacons, electricity, maintenance, sermon preparation, music, all of the stuff it takes to keep the doors open. They have an intended produced product, congregation, belief, social connection, and the affirmation of one's faith that comes from worshiping in a group setting. And of course, they have waste, things that many of us would prefer were not baked into the system, like the occasional violent actor who takes church doctrine to mean that he ought to shoot up an abortion clinic, or the social movements which are ignored by people who might support them if their donations weren't already tied up in missionary conquests across the globe. The church isn't broken. These things are designed into it, and they operate alongside the soup kitchens and homeless shelters which also receive church funding. You can do this with any system. They all work the same way. They also all tend to work together to support one another. Back to the sewing factory metaphor. Let's say we discovered that our cardboard manufacturer did indeed send us bad cardboard, which ultimately caused our machine to turn out loads of bad products. Now, it would be absurd to attempt to resolve this issue internally, inside the factory, either by attacking the defective end products or by trying to adjust our machinery, because the problem isn't our machinery. We would have to instead think of our systems as just one of many, intertwined, working together, and dependent upon one another for optimal efficiency. Not because they're broken, but because they're designed that way. The sewing factory is designed to expect raw materials to be available, to have them delivered to one location where they can produce thread. And in the case of bad cardboard, you would call the cardboard factory and tell them about the problem. And then they would begin a similar process, trying to figure out what went wrong. And it might not even be their fault. Perhaps their supplier of raw wood brought them a soggy batch. So we need to think bigger yet again. While we're expanding, we should also think forward to the consumer level. Not only are various systems operating outside of the sewing factory to bring it the raw materials necessary to produce a sellable product, but once the thread leaves the factory, it splashes down into a much larger system 
one that's been intimately involved in its life course all along, in mostly invisible ways. All products in a capitalist society are either responding to a consumer demand or copying someone who already did. Otherwise, nobody would buy whatever it is you're selling. So our thread will head out into the world and compete with other thread in price, in strength, in color, in texture. And if our factory's thread is passed over for that of another factory, we would be smart to get a sample of their thread and try to copy whatever it was that made them a better choice. And what probably made them a better choice was ultimately not even the decision of the company who's buying it. Because chances are, that thread is headed to a jean factory or a blouse manufacturer who's making styles that align with current consumer demands. It's the buyer who decides which fabric and thread they want. Because if the company doesn't meet their demands, we'll just go elsewhere. There are far too many options for clothing nowadays. My point is that a systems perspective allows us to take into account things that are vitally important for understanding why things are the way they are. Imagine you restrict your analysis to your own factory, or even to your own section of the factory. You'd be missing out on understanding a ton of reasons why the factory operates the way it does. And you'll definitely miss the reasons why what appear to be errors are showing up over and over. Same thing with the car analogy. If we think of our car in a vacuum, we're missing connections that will help us understand ways of interacting with the world. Things like speed limits, registration fees, traffic laws, driver's license requirements. A car is a complicated system, but it only works in relationship to other systems. The appearance might be that the interstate highway system is a seamless pathway across the country, but it only works with the same sorts of connections to local industry, local labor, systems of government, planners, engineers, law enforcement, politicians. And all of these connections sort of just disappear when everything's running smoothly. We hardly see them at all until things go wrong, and then we don't really want to see them. The analogy applies to law enforcement, which is where I'm ultimately headed with this train of thought. As much as we want to reduce cases of police misconduct or violence against communities of color without looking at the system, we won't ever stop these errors, these alleged defects in the social system and its subsystem, law enforcement, until we address the reasons they exist in the first place. Our culturally trained minds see George Floyd or Michael Brown or Eric Garner or Philando Castile or the literally hundreds of other black men needlessly killed or beaten by law enforcement officers every year, and we want to blame the cops, fire them, replace them with different cops who we assume will not do the same thing. And luckily, most cops don't wind up fired for misconduct or sent to prison for abuse or murder. But it isn't because they're all better cops than Derek Chauvin. It's because the stars align and they never find themselves in the same situation as Derek Chauvin. Now to be sure, not all cops would have kneeled on somebody's back for nine and a half minutes, killing him as a crowd looked on. But most of them would have used some other form of violence to force compliance. Hog tying, stuffing him into the back of the car, taser, pepper spray. There are plenty of options for officers to deal with difficult suspects. I'm not saying that bad police officers shouldn't be punished, and I'm not saying that smushed boxes shouldn't be removed from shipments before they're sent out. We should keep our quality control in place, because both are manufactured in an engineered system which was designed to mass-produce a desired end product. In both cases, we do ourselves no favors if we restrict our analysis to just the defective product without trying to figure out why it's defective, or if it even is. Maybe our defective end product is the result of a designed-in mechanism, which means it isn't an end product at all, but that it's waste. And if that's the case, 
and it is, then we're in luck, because that means we can redesign the machine to get rid of most of these defects. If something is too toxic for it to be released into the environment, then we can design it out of cars, as we've done over and over. Same with any system. Instead of pretending that context doesn't matter and that police officers effectively fall out of the sky seconds before these fatal encounters we continue to see over and over, we can back up with a system's perspective and look at the input, the product, and the waste. Departments hire police officers who apply for specific jobs, and those jobs have titles, duties, and salaries. Departments require those officers to go through some specific trainings, and not others. Some traits which might be problematic and undesirable in a different field, like medical patient care or suicide hotline operator, are valued in candidates for police officers. But don't forget, just like the sewing factory, we have to look forward along with our backward to really understand why that is. The news puts out rubbish, day after day, focusing on the goriest and most scandalous parts of a story while ignoring what might actually qualify as news. But that machine isn't broken either, because the news machine isn't designed to deliver news. It's designed to deliver profits into the pockets of private business owners by selling consumers a product. Entertaining news. They give us what we want, but the temptation is to blame them for providing a product which we demand. If they didn't give it to us, we'd just change the channel. The system is designed to incentivize their bad behavior, then to disappear when we go looking for someone to blame, so we blame the news, even though we know it's the consumer who's buying the end product, and it's the system which ensures it exists at all. With the police, it's the public's acceptance of terrible behavior or violent tactics which allow departments to continue hiring people who are likely to get in trouble later on. <laughs> We've been watching so-called reality TV for half a century in this country, and we've glamorized and heroized armored vehicles full of armored law enforcement officers blowing down doors and shooting up dope houses. And we've been largely okay with it. We've even valorized it. Tupac once said, I think gangs can be positive. It just has to be organized and it has to stay away from being self-destructive to being self-productive. I think this country was built on gangs, mm -hmm. you know. I think this country still is run on gangs. Republicans, Democrats, the police department, the FBI, the CIA, those are gangs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The correctional officers. Mm -hmm. I had a correctional officer tell me straight up, we the biggest gang in New York State. Straight up. This whole country is built on gangs. And he was right. Law enforcement is the biggest gang in this country. That doesn't have to be a bad thing, but so far we've all made sure it remains a pretty bad thing by refusing to talk about it, by getting ornery when someone says it out loud, and by suspending accountability when it comes to the war on drugs, as if that's what should give officers of the state permission to do their worst. We can do better, and it's pretty obvious that ending the war on drugs is a huge part of that process. But we have to know that the people who have been elevated to a position of cultural hero will fight for their jobs every bit as hard as they fight for their reputations as heroes. Sadly, both are going to disappear in the next few decades, like it or not. So when we say systems, not people, we aren't suggesting people shouldn't be held accountable. We're actually suggesting that they shouldn't be put into positions where they will do whatever it is that they do, the thing that they end up being held accountable for. The idea of defunding the police is a good one, as Denver's already shown in the first six months of its pilot program to divert funding from police officers to mental health care providers. And so far, these unarmed employees have been sent to 750 calls, which would have otherwise been responded to by police officers. 
And so far, no arrests, no charges of abuse, and not a single person has been shot. We can design a system where armed officers of the law exist, but where they don't show up to situations which are only made more volatile by the presence of a gun. We can end the war on drugs and offer early retirement to the faithful warriors who we don't need anymore. We can send home the people languishing in prison for drug convictions and retire their captors as well. And it's probably easy to see how, moving forward, this gives us a heck of a new design project, building the post-prison industrial complex society. We've got a lot of work to do to take care of these people that are going to be released from jobs in prison. So let's get to work. Love yourselves and the addicted people in your life. I'm Ben Boyce.